I think being a mom is also reconciling social changes that your single friends will no longer have any interest in your child's cute little twirl that they did this morning or, you know, the fact that you finally are able to run 10 kilometers. Um, And then your mommy friends who are a little bit ahead of you are like, oh, yeah, I don't remember what that was like. Sorry, can't help you. (laughs) So um, I, I think, yeah, the theme I would say in terms of strength is, you know, anybody who can survive this is strong. Mom strength is kind of the the communal strengths that we all have, because there's no way one woman does it. You know, she has her village and she needs to get it. Welcome to Mom Strength, a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host, Surabi Veach, physiotherapist and fitness coach, also known as the Passionate Physio. Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hello, friends, and welcome back to season three of Mom Strength. I am your host, Surabi Beach, and I'm so pumped to have on one of my friends and one of my clients and an incredible mom with so much experience and wisdom to share, Sharon Fenn. I'm going to introduce her first, and then I'm going to have her chat about herself. So Sharon is a stay-at-home mom, working mom with a 15-month-old and a lover of spontaneous adventures, either in the mountains or in her career. Motherhood has been the greatest challenge of her life, and she's still learning every day about herself, her relationships with her partner and family, and the world at large. She's Taiwanese-Canadian, and her husband is Iranian-German, so they're keen on exposing their child to as many cultures, languages, and perspectives as possible. Hi, Sharon. Welcome. Hello. So I actually realize I don't really like being in the center of attention. But then when I'm giving the microphone, I'm kind of like getting jazzed up. Um, I remember actually dancing with Surabi in Ottawa when we really connected in 2007. And I think back and I'm like, wow, that was 15 years ago. We were sort of um, young, nubile college kids um, just, just living. And I had no idea, you know, 15 years later, we would connect on something that is even more sensitive and and deeply important and impactful. Um, And I think the cool thing is throughout this whole process of us reconnecting and me becoming a client, we haven't actually physically met at all. Right? Like there's been a pandemic. um, And even though I was in Toronto for two, three months, um, because I actually physically live in Taipei right now, we never actually touched but at the no. same time, I would say she's been one of the more impactful people that have touched my life um, in the past, you know, 15 months since I had my baby. So I'm really excited to be here. Um, and this is a bit surreal. So thank you so much. It is yeah. very surreal because you are in the other part of the world from where we are, for wherever I am. It's evening where you are. It's morning where I am. And you're so right. And I think the past two years have sped up that whole internet online connection aspect of it 
because so many of us prior to the pandemic, I wasn't really on Instagram. I hadn't started my own business. I hadn't been offering virtual services. So it this has exposed me to so many connections in a way that there never could have been before, which I'm very grateful for. And I'm grateful that it's connected me back to you. I was thinking about that. I'm like, 15 years ago, we lived in Ottawa. We were co-op students and we would dance. We would go out dancing. We would have fun. And here we are. We're now mothers and going through completely different experiences. But we still have that fun and adventure still residing. I think you dance us. more than I do, but I'm trying. I do. I've I been do. teaching my daughter how to boogie a bit with the shoulders. So she's getting loose in the upper body. Not <laughs> <laughs> kidding. I love it. I have it. a video. It toddlers, is pretty cool. Toddlers dancing is one of my favorite. It's just so adorable. Them crawling well, and them dan- walking, dancing, them doing anything is just so I think cute. the interesting thing, too, is that their body proportions are very, it's, it's in quarters, <laughs> yes. right? Their head is a quarter, their uh, torso is a quarter, and then they've got like a bit of a leg. So then they kind <laughs> of literally look like a doll that moves in weird parts, it comes in and out, and they're like a bodybuilder <laughs> trying to, to bookie. Um, so really enjoying it. And definitely one day when, if she gets married, I'm showing that to embarrass her. Oh, yeah. Take all the videos right now. Um, So tell me, Sharon, I want to start with you. And some of the things that stand out the most for me about you is the fact that you are an athlete, um, the fact that you're very strong both mentally and physically, and that your motherhood has not been like a lot of people's. You've been traveling a lot. You've been living overseas in many different countries. You've had, you've also been kind of on your own quite a bit, right? With kind of solo parenting and then co-parenting. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your life over the past 15 months and what that's been like? Sure. I actually feel like it's, you always have to start with pregnancy uh, as the whole journey and then add like nine to 10 months in front of it because it literally, like that's, pregnancy was the slow crawl and then postpartum was the like boom here you are new self go for it um with zero coaching and zero basically rest but um it's interesting that you mentioned so I was actually quite I wouldn't say reluctant um to participate but when I saw the words mom strength strangely my initial reaction was I'm not strong Um, And I think that's something that a lot of moms and women, uh, you know, go through, which is we have this weird imposter syndrome. Um, And the more someone tells us we are X, which is some positive adjective, the more we shy away from that because Mm -hmm. some, some, you know, other reasons that we don't need to discuss. But I remember thinking about that being like, what am I even strong about? And all my friends look Mm -hmm. at me and say, are you kidding (laughs) Right. Exactly. You, you've done yeah. some hilariously odd things in life and you've done them <laughs> with grace or with um, amusement. But uh, if I think back, um, my pregnancy was actually at a time, it was actually at sort of um, the early peaks of COVID. Um, I found out I was pregnant in uh, October 2020. And did all of it in in kind of vacuum. So in Taiwan, we were fairly shielded from the virus, which I think is also unique in it of itself. Um, but it meant it was hard for people to come here. And it was hard for me to get my community, which is in Canada, in the US, in Germany, in the UK. Um, I was suddenly cut off from all my friends. And in fact, my mom wasn't even around for most of my pregnancy and my labor. So that was that was def- 
devastating to some degree. But I think at that time, you know, you were looking around thinking, woe is me, that's not that big of a deal when other people's family is is going through death. So I would say pregnancy was actually a lot of repression and a lot of um, kind of ignoring the fact that I'm going to be a mom, even though it's something mm. that I've wanted to do for basically most of my life. I've never even questioned it. In fact, I used to actively encourage people to have children. Like if they said, <laughs> I'm not going to have children, I'm like, but you guys are smart people. You have to have children. I would go you need on to procreate. Like an, exactly. <laughs> we need like more you, like you. Yeah. <laughs> you I would go on like a two-hour um, like timed sales pitch on why having children is a good idea. I'm not kidding. Um, I'm lots You're of that person going door to door. I'm that person. Yeah. <laughs> the Mormon. Anyway. Um, yeah, exactly. When it came to myself, it was terrifying because I think, number one, I didn't have the support system. I didn't know how to build it. Um, and there were structural barriers. Like I could not fly to travel and have like a baby moon. Um, and my husband's family also didn't live in Taiwan. They were in Germany and the U.S. So we were really solo right from the start. Um, and then there was also some, you know, minor language and cultural difficulties. And then on top of that, I had a really intense work um, situation that made me work sort of 10, 12 hours. And hormonally being all over the place made me try even harder to act like everything was normal. So it was a setup for a perfect storm. And then basically postpartum, and I want to say my postpartum went at least 14 months. I think I just got out of it mentally like three weeks ago. But um, postpartum was a rude awakening because I think most moms or even dads who have seen this know that it is just war. And it's war unlike any book has ever prescribed. Um, and it's also a very, I want to say, conflicting messaging. Everyone's telling you, wow, you have this precious, beautiful baby. Your life must be great. You must be so happy. And you have to put on this face. Yeah. Um, and I, that's when I realized how uh, maybe how in denial I was about actually becoming a mom. And so the identity change um, just came crashing down. And a part of it, I mean, I think from the outside, everyone's like, wow, you traveled so much. But I traveled to get that community. And, mm. um, you know, I'm, I'm proud, but I don't think it's something to, to brag about. But we, we'd spent actually three months in, in North America. In fact, baby went from Canada to the U.S. to a spontaneous trip to Mexico. Um, <laughs> I remember she fell that. off a couch <laughs> and like bruised her cheek. Um, so we had to take pictures only on one side. And um, <laughs> it's been a lot of that. And then we spent the summer in Europe, uh, also visiting my husband's family in Germany, a lot of my friends in, in France and, and um, a couple weddings. And it was sort of my way to catch up on the last two years of isolation. Um, because nobody had met my husband and my baby. And for them, it was a bit of a, a an adjustment as well to be like, this is my friend who's changed a lot. Um, right. So we all had to update each other physically in person. And I think that's the the cool part is that, you know, other than physiological changes and um, and dealing with the changes in the world and your personal identity, I think being a mom is also reconciling social changes. That your single yes. friends will no longer have any interest in 
your child's cute little twirl that they did this morning or, you know, the fact that you finally are able to run 10 kilometers. Um, and then your mommy friends who are a little bit up, uh, ahead of you are like, oh, yeah, I don't remember what that was like. Sorry, can't help you. <laughs> so um, I, I think, yeah, the theme I would say in terms of strength is, you know, anybody who can survive this is strong. I, I'm always so impressed. And I think the cool part that I found, again, is this um, online network of mothers, um, girls who I maybe didn't connect with very well when they were single, um, all of a sudden they're moms and they have common issues and we talk to each other about it online. And um, it's interesting. I only remember this this morning uh, that I have a, a WhatsApp group of basically friends from 20 years. And they're all just wow. smushed into this one group, and I can add you later. <laughs> and um, and and random topics come up, and the ages uh, of the children vary from you know eight months to eight years. Amazing. So, yeah, I, I think that's just it. Is that mom strength is kind of the the communal strength that we all have, because there's no way one woman does it. You know, she has her no. village, and she needs to get it. You know, going back to, I love some of the themes that kind of came up as you were talking is that whole pregnancy and being in denial because I felt that too. I've always wanted kids. I always knew I wanted to be a mother. But once we got pregnant, I was kind of in denial that this was happening to me. I think if I had accepted, okay, my body is changing. I am more exhausted. I am more fatigued. I may have to work less and actually adapted my life to my pregnancy versus saying, I'm going to ignore that this situation is happening in my body and just go on as if life is normal. And my first pregnancy was, was pre-pandemic, so life was going on as normal. I hated missing social things with friends because I was nauseous. The FOMO was real. Now later I can recognize those were bigger themes of you know, missing out and feeling left out. Those types of themes kept coming up. But Pregnancy is sometimes the first time in our lives where we have lost control of our own bodies and someone else, something else is dictating how things are going. And then postpartum, boom, that magnifies because you have a baby who's kind of ruling the house. You know, when they want to eat, they eat. When they want to sleep, they sleep. Or you, you have to help them sleep. Now, what was it like for you? Because you gave birth in Taipei. Yeah, June 2020 in Taipei. In Taipei. And actually, the second wave. So um, we had to do a PCR. Right. We had to um, guess or when. Or June 2021, we... right? Uh, sorry, sorry, 2021. Sorry. Right. Um, and we had to guess when we might deliver and do a PCR two days in advance. <laughs> what? <laughs> if you didn't deliver, you'd have to do another PCR in your oh rolling two days in advance. Um, but I, I was fortunate that my husband could actually be there and that he was actually in the room. Um, the ring room but yeah it was in Taipei um, I had a doula a midwife uh, sort of sorry the same person um, and I enlisted a very hippie um, doctor which is rare in, in Asia they're, they're all, usually all about intervention who had like a water tub um, you know where I'm going with this and she was very much all about like non-intervention and sometimes even hypnobirthing and after three days of just latent contractions, she looked at me and she's like, I think a C-section. And I was like, just do it. 
<laughs> so needs to come out. Yeah, it's pretty funny because at the end of the day, um, I was so jealous of all of her case studies of these women who just plopped a baby in the water, no tearing, and then was had these beautiful moments and pictures. And here I was, you know, maybe probably the most high-strung woman out there, um, forcing herself to have a water birth. So <laughs> I would say, I mean, this is the universe and the karmic. Um, forces telling me like I wasn't ready right it wasn't my birth to have and then I've definitely reconciled with it because um if it wasn't for the c-section I wouldn't have needed a lot of work in recovery as much I think and then we wouldn't have connected so it all works out it all works out and I love that there is I think there is often a mourning period when things don't go the way you anticipate during your birth whether it's an unplanned c-section or an unplanned intervention um and I think it's important to go to, go through that process and then reconcile, right? Sometimes we we don't even talk about it after, like it never happened. We don't talk about the disappointment or um, how things impact us now. So I'm glad that you reconciled that experience. And I've had that situation come up with other moms where they planned a birthing, birthing suite, everything, and then they end up having an unplanned C-section. Sometimes that's just the way the, the way it happens. And the thing with birth is it's not you and your body. It's you, your body, and baby, and baby's body, mm-hmm. and luck and whatever else happens. And despite all that, you have done so incredibly well. Like I I can't remember when we started working together. I think you were only a few months Four, postpartum. Four, five months. Yeah. Yeah. And your C-section recovery, like you, you did amazing. You did incredible. I always At first, people, I couldn't even get off of the bed, like roll off the bed properly. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, I couldn't even do random, you know, I, I can't, I actually can't remember doing any yoga poses without pain. That's when I remember being like, I, I think I remember after my first yoga session at six weeks postpartum, I just cried. Like, I can't, I can't plank. And my husband's like, do you want me to show you a video of your C-section? He videotaped. Um, so he, yeah, he had his phone in his hand, so he videoed parts of it, the the extraction. And I remember, good, good for him. <laughs> Please show it to me. And he would threaten to remind to show it to me if you I tried to overload it. Yeah. Well, there's research that shows that the abdominal fascia takes nine to twelve months to recover fully, right? So post surgical. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine. You said about fourteen months. You started to feel like you were out of that postpartum. It makes sense, right? But that conflicting information that you were talking about, that you're like, you know, when one person says this, one person says that, a lot of people will say six weeks is postpartum recovery. And you're like, but this is just like, why am I not better? Why can't I do yoga? Why can't I do the things that I want to do at six weeks? And part of, you know, my mission is educating people that six weeks is, is just the beginning. It is just the start. And within a few couple sessions of working together, you were suddenly doing like, so many different strength exercises for your core and pelvic floor and and whole body. Like literally, I remember within a couple sessions, you just needed the guidance. And a lot of people just need the guidance because their bodies are like your body is amazing at healing. All of our bodies are exceptional mm-hmm. healers if they are guided down the right path. We we timed it okay because it was the dead of winter. Um, so there was no social pressure to show off this body. Yeah. There was just baggy sweaters, um, a lot of alone time, uh, sitting there working out while 
watching the falling snow. Um, and I think a part of me, I would be honest to say that I was more motivated then than I am, say, at present day. Yeah. Um, because I feel a little bit like my body's um, returned to some level that I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Whereas then I hated this body right. um, and I was grasping at straws at whatever I could. And I think one thing also to add um, for those who aren't super familiar with sort of the Asian um, mentality is that there is not a lot of physiotherapy available, especially for pelvic floor. In fact, I don't even think they talk about it um, as part of labor. They just kind of draw lines and say, this is where you go. Um, but, uh, there's, I've found only two people in all of Taiwan that has proper, um, pelvic floor physiotherapy understanding that they learned from Canada and the U S. Mm. Um, and so just the lack of knowledge was also frustrating yeah. and everybody just would say, you know, put on the band yeah. or go to Pilates yeah. or my doctor was even saying, the age-old adage, uh, however long it takes for you to be pregnant will be however long it takes for you to Work get back. Mm -hmm. And that can be misleading too because it can take a lot longer than nine months. Or for some people, that's like not even close to how long it takes. So, And recovery doesn't have to happen just on its own. It can be done with support, even mental health, right? We talk about mental health support too. Our mental health will improve as you're sleeping better and as you're out of that fresh postpartum phase where you're anxious about everything because you're a first-time new mom, but it doesn't mean you have to go at it alone. Um, a lot of in, – in a lot of Asian countries, like I know in India too, like that belly banding or like that, you know, wrap it it's up, terrible. get back to your body. Like this is like a worldwide phenomenon, this bounce back culture and this pressure to get back. And I think more so often in Asian cultures where – you know, having this aesthetic is even more revered, right? Um, how did you feel? I love that you said too that you didn't feel the pressure in the winter. You can wear clothes that you're kind of comfortable in. And that is also something I noticed with the pandemic and being a new mom in the pandemic. You weren't pressured to socialize. So there wasn't as much pressure to put on a nice outfit, to suck in your abs to, because you're around friends. Yeah. You could just kind of let your body heal the way it was meant to. Now, you were in – Interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely good, actually, see that right? because I noticed that with my second. I had my second in September of 2020. He just turned two yesterday. Mm. Um, and yeah, I was like, I don't feel pressure to go out to these mommy groups every week. I'm like, I could just stay at home and let, like honor my baby's schedule. Like what? Like that's what yeah. I should have been doing with my first, but I did feel pressure with my first to attend these mommy groups every week and go take her to every music class and every baby baby oh, art class. And that wasn't that, that wasn't for her. Babies don't need that. Mm -hmm. They don't need to be taken around to every class. They need connection with their mom and dad or whoever is their main caregivers. They just need one-on-one -on -one connection and attention. They don't need 18 billion people to, you know, do art with or, or whatnot. They need experiences and connection. And I wish that I knew that with my first, but our society, the way it is, is, you know, the pressure to have the clean house and have all the cute baby photos and matching clothes and go to all the mom groups. And I felt, I felt into that trap with my first. And it was so nice with my second that I didn't have to choose because nothing was there because it was a pandemic. Interesting. And now I can parent the way I actually want to and it is authentic to me. We talked about that a little bit before we, you know, hopped on 
the call about authenticity in parenting. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that has impacted you in the past year and a half? Oh, um, that is a really good question because I think it's an ongoing question. Um, because as I evolve to maybe be more authentic or, or change who I am or, or sort of uh, settle into my, my identity, then I can be more of an authentic parent, but then also the child changes. So it's like <laughs> two people dancing separately. Um, so I actually have to credit my husband with a lot of um, writing me to the center because I think in, in some ways I wanted to be that mom who took my kid to the mommy group, who, you know, had everything, you know, beautiful clothes, um, super expensive, or a diaper changing station, doing yeah, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, but number one, I was caught off guard, so I didn't have the time to purchase it all. Yeah. <laughs> number two, I was in Asia, so everything was kind of cutesy and, and weird. So I actually rejected it, which is good. Um, but then my husband, actually, I think he was raised fairly authentic as well um, as an immigrant in Germany. Um, and he was always like, why don't we just see what the kid's comfortable with? Um, and why don't we just observe her and be more sensitive to her needs instead of just, just shoving things in her face and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we obviously had conflict around that mm -hmm. because, and I love telling this story. I was, uh, I was three months postpartum. It was this house. And um, she was not sleeping according to schedule. And I was already thinking, okay, we're going to start sleep training at three months. I was a type A mom for the first six months. And then I revert. And now I'm super chill. Yeah. Um, so it's been a bit of a roller coaster. And I remember she woke up in the middle of the night. Uh, she wasn't taking milk. And just, it was, she was three months old. And I sat her on the couch. And I said in English, get it together. <laughs> get it together right now i think it's like two in the morning yeah and you know that's delirious mom talking we we all have been there yeah <laughs> we've been we there. have been there but as soon as i said that my husband just started laughing <laughs> he was just like she's three months old what do you like what does that even mean and also can you hear yourself and that humor also got me laughing because i was like oh yeah what are, like, what what is I even trying to do, right? But I would say that's when I realized, hey, you know, like none of this matters. It's health, it's stimulation and inputs, and then it's it's that presentness and loving and and just kind of play, mm -hmm. um, and and everything else. I mean, obviously, you want really good toothpaste or whatever yeah, yeah, in the yeah, beginning, yeah, yeah. all that, all the like health ish health, yeah. things. Um, and like the right Vitamin nickel D and the right and orthodontic and yeah. uh, pacifier and all these like things they upsell you on, by the way. Um, so I, these days I very much am always thinking like, okay, a hundred years ago, how would they raise this right? baby so that it has a life expectancy of at least 50? Yeah. Um, and if I can just take that and then the scary current parent and I meet in the middle, then it should be okay. Um and thinking about it, like uh, we actually interviewed a nanny today. She was like, wow, this kid is very like friendly, observant, pretty easygoing. Oh, she sleeps like very according to schedule. Cool. Like you guys have, have somewhat done well. And I thought to myself, yeah, I mean, it's been a 15 month learning experience because I've never had to co-live, co-parent, co-work 
and 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 co-travel with my little family like this. Yeah. Um, and I think it's exacerbated by the fact that we're both stay-at-home parents. Right. Um, and then the travel bit made us have to peel away all the externalities and say, okay, if we were to just be in a continent like Europe for four months, what do we actually need yeah. other than a crib, some clothes, and maybe formula everywhere we go, right? Oh, yeah, diapers. Yeah. Um, so I think that's been, I think the circumstances, but then also just me hitting a wall and then realizing, okay, I have to corner, um, force me to be a bit more authentic with, with parenting. Um, and now it's actually really easy. As you said, like we can shed all these expectations and just kind of be, um, and the result is happy kids. And I pretty chill, happy kids. I think that it helps to be the type A high strung mom initially because you hit that wall faster. I hit that wall fast too. And so people, okay. I talk I talk to moms who have 10 year olds and they haven't hit that wall yet. They're still living an inauthentic oh. life. They're still doing all the huge birthday parties, huge everything for these kids. And they're not happy doing it. They're dreading doing these things. And I'm like, but why are you doing that? It's not for the kid. It's for you to show off to your friends. It is not for that child. But I think in some ways it helps to be these like overachievers because we overachieved that first few months and then we hit a wall and we're like, <laughs> we can't sustain this anymore. We have to, something has to give, something has to change. Well, so it's the interesting thing is I've observed these overachieving moms and, and again, no judgment. Yeah. They do what they do. Um, I think society needs that. Like it's all a balance. Yeah. Um, I think it's okay to share this. Uh, I don't think she's listening, but the former CEO of Yahoo, Marissa Myers, uh, was famous for putting the crib, her a crib in of her first child in her CEO office, and having her nanny, um, like I think six weeks postpartum, um, because she was one of the first high-profile tech CEOs, mm -hmm. and she felt like she couldn't, she couldn't slack. You know, she was hired um, and to to turn Yahoo around, etc. Um, years later, I've, I've spoken to some people who are close friends with her and, and see her socially. Um, and they told me that she has three nannies, one per child. Mm. So she has three kids. Um, two of them are twins and the twins each have a nanny. Wow. And that's how you're able to achieve that. Yeah. Um, but again, is that, is it really parenting if you're not there parenting? Um, we're and you're just it. sort of wearing the label, yeah. yeah. Well, and and again, right? Uh, I outsource cl like cleaning yeah. um, now, and and I think Taiwan's easier because we literally it's the norm uh, almost every and, yeah. yeah, and every other meal we eat out, yeah. um, but we we select um, good food. But it's like I think the intimate connection with a child is hard to it's hard to say you're parenting if you don't do that anymore, yeah. and that you're teaching them how to be authentic if you're not actually present yeah. um and so coming back to i think being a co-parent for the last 15 months with just my husband and then occasionally help from our, our mothers has taught me really how difficult or how easy it can be yeah. if you are easy on yourself wow that's powerful right <clears throat> is if you are mm -hmm. If you cho And it's a choice. I think it is a choice we make to be easy on ourselves or to go easy on ourselves or to be constantly hard and judging every action that we do. Because 
one thing that I've realized is in U.S. especially, there is no maternity leave. We talked a little bit about that. So mothers feel this pressure to go back to work. Financially, they might have to. And then parenting is outsourced quite early on when that baby is still making a huge developmental change and connection with the outside world. They're trying to figure out who are my main people. And then unfortunately, they don't get to see their mom or dad or parents because their parents have to work. And, you know, I'm in Canada. Luckily, we have 18, up to 18 months of maternity leave. Assuming you're an employee, you might have employment insurance if that's enough for you. So many people are now taking 18 months. I took 15 months with my first one. With my second one, it was really interesting because I was at home. So I was kind of like, I worked a little bit part-time. I was at home. Both my husband and I were home. My husband took six months off. And that was, I think, Amazing. the first time he got it. He got what I had been going through as a new mom. Because it's, you know, that example that you shared with you telling your baby, you know, get it together. I think every mom will connect with that. And it's it's easier for dads to be like, well, what's going on? Like, chill out. Because they're not the ones typically day in and day out doing every feed, doing everything. And oftentimes they can go and sit at a desk or go out outside and work and then they come back. So that's what my husband did with my first child. So in the evenings he would come home. Yes, he'd be tired too, but I was mentally and emotionally drained. I had a baby that didn't sleep the way I planned for her to sleep. And so it was hard. With my second, he got a taste of like, wow, this is really hard, full-time parenting. And I, I think it's been the best thing for our relationship, to be honest, is both of us going through it together so that we both have more empathy for each other's situation. You know, I see a lot of moms doing the brunt of the parenting and the household work still to this day in 2022. And I'm talking educated moms with good jobs and, you know, they're still doing all of the other stuff. And it's no wonder moms are so burnt out and so exhausted. And then the child suffers, right? I love your – one of the things that you were talking about is, you know, it sounds like you also have a better idea or more clear idea of your values and that you value that time to play with your child, to connect with your child in a way that you couldn't do if you were back at work, right? So it's interesting because um... – while I was gearing up for labor, um, I started, so I've done meditation on and off. It's not the most consistent hobby, but um, I do practice visualization. And so I was like visualizing labor. I was visualizing postpartum, uh, breastfeeding and all that stuff. And <laughs> strangely enough, as I was doing that, I think this was about three weeks before I gave birth, um, I visualized missing out on all of my baby's milestones because of this intense job. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, maybe that's just like how I'm going to go through it as a career woman, which is really tragic. Um, and, and strangely enough, I did miss <laughs> my baby crawling for the first time um, because I was at a work conference. Um, but I was there for her first stand. I was there for her first... Um, like uh, independent steps um, without any assistance because she had held on to our hands for a little bit longer. Um, and and looking back, obviously I don't regret a single thing. And it's so strange that I had resigned to it being the case that I wouldn't be there yeah. because I had to choose one or the other. And that's maternity leave and it's power, right? It is power. Um, yeah. 
and all the mothers who basically have to pump and go through all of that, like also kudos to them because it's so extra to have to do that while you're working um, and to suppress your body's natural um, need to nourish your child. Yeah. Right. How artificial and how sort of messed up is that? And and I think that's another thing is that as a Canadian, I thought that was the average. I thought 12 months was was what everybody else did, yeah. you know. Um, and now that I've worked in Europe, I've worked in Asia, um, definitely not the case. And even though European countries seem very liberal, four to six months is tops mm. for most places. Is that right? Um, maternity and paternity. Um, and then in Asia, I mean, two to four months is pushing it. Um, but governments are trying to change it, but it doesn't matter because policy does not overrule social judgments. That's it. And in Asia, it's more so like you're a lazy woman um, and, and, you know, there's fear of being fired, etc. It's just terrible. And it's actually female bosses doing it to female employees because they were the ones that um, were subjected to this torture when they were young. Yeah. So they don't see why they have to make, make an, an exception. exception for the next generation. Yeah. They don't want to be part of the change because they're like, hey, I suffered. You're going to suffer through too. Mm-hmm. I saw this in my my old workplace too. Not Not necessarily in the same kind of judgment, but just in how I was treated as soon as I announced my pregnancy and how they were giving preferential treatment to others who weren't pregnant, right? Especially the male that I worked with. And it's un- it's really unfortunate because this still happens and you're so right. It's not just policy. Everyone is fighting for longer mat leaves, better mat leave. It's not just that. It's about implementation. What? How are we going to actually implement that when the culture says that you're a lazy woman, that you're a bad employee, that you you obviously are now this you know, weak, weak, weak woman, because you're now just, just a mother and you can't also be a CEO. You can't also be a boss. You can't also be a worker. And why do we have to choose, right? Like, why do we have to choose between one and the other? Because we're forced to, we're forced to because of this, you know, again, societal judgment and standards. I've had clients, like one of my clients is Canadian and she moved to the U.S. and luckily works for a Canadian company. So she got a 12 month mat leave. And she said that every mom in her, she lives in San Diego area in the Bay and everyone else is like back at work. And she's like, it was so weird because people were like, why are you taking so much time off? Aren't you going to be bored? And she's like, I was not bored. Like taking care of a child is hard work. And you're not, you're never really like, of course you can be bored in the sense that you miss talking to other adults or you miss some aspects of thinking and doing the work that you do, but it's not like it's a vacation. You know, no, and I like to compare it with sick leave. Um, lots of companies have very generous sick leave mm-hmm. where they, you know, will help you pay, like, give you full compensation for taking time off to say, like, treat whatever illness you have, be it two, three, four months, or five or six, because you've contributed to this workplace already. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of a right for you to be able to draw a little bit of that in because you're doing something hard and you're you're healing your body. Um, How is it that, uh, you know, maternity leave is completely different 
it's as if, okay, you got a gift, it's your child, therefore we can't give you more, you know, help there, um, which is a very strange way to see it. So I, I always question bosses when they, you know, refute that say, oh, but a woman going on leave is financially impactful for the company. And I was like, yes, but so is someone who's sick. Yeah. But how come you have sympathy for sickness and not sympathy for raising a life, which actually has greater value to society at large? Yeah. You're you're you know? creating the future and you are literally Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can say a lot about how a society is in how they treat their mothers. That's what that's what I think is how does a society treat women and mothers? With respect or do they dismiss them and say okay, you're no longer valuable? You know, when when countries like the US have I I, I speak about the US cuz it's closer to here than and I'm more familiar but with it. But it's also the highest GDP and then lowest sort of maternity leave policy. right? And taxation is still high. That's another thing, right? If your taxes are high, but you're not getting any social benefits out of it, isn't that a little bit silly? Yeah. It's like what? So, But they still call themselves the best country and the best everything. But I'm like, but but the most basic things you're not getting. Like, let's let's fix that. Let's improve that. what do you find is you you met you told me a story about your your friend or somebody you had met at a wedding. Can you share that story with me? You know about the pressure of Yes, this was actually 2 weekends ago. Um so and and again this is I think the the tail end of another anecdote on maternity leave. Um but I uh was recently in Bali for a wedding and yes again my husband solo parented and allowed me to go and frolic in the rice fields of Ubud. Um, and I attended a wedding and uh, one of the hosts uh, is a Indonesian and she's from a really wealthy family. Um, in fact, her family owned that resort chain that we were staying at. Wow. Um, and she's the eldest daughter and, you know, Indonesian press have called her princess. Mm. Like she's at that level of socialite and she was pregnant with, with her second. And I was like, oh, congratulations. When are you due? Et cetera. Having the usual catch up. Yeah. Um, and when maternity leave came up and she said she was only taking six weeks off. And I, I remember asking again, like six weeks or six months. She's like, no, no, six weeks. And then she looked at her husband who works in management consulting and was like, he's getting more. He's getting two months. What? And I remember being like, you guys are, you can very much afford to take time off, but because you're afraid of setting an example for your employees and making sure they don't take time off so you won't take time off either. And I that's when I realized it's it's so pervasive throughout all of that society mm-hmm. um, to really not honor sort of the changes that a woman goes through. And I mean, the fact that you get two months of paternity leave, yet, you know, one and weeks. a half of maternity is mind-blowing. Yeah. That's um, absurd. And and that's and I looked at her and, and I could tell there was more she wanted to tell me, but obviously in her position. Couldn't, yeah. Um she couldn't let down her guard. And that shocked me so much. And and if if I could one day work in public policy, that would be honestly one of the main things that I would advocate for because I think I mean it's just like birth control. I think once you change that policy, the cascading effects throughout society. For 50% of the population, it's going to be significant. And you might see more children being born just because mothers could finally mentally afford it as well. Yeah, it's true because the pressure, a lot of the people I know in Toronto, 
have had trouble, they delay having a child because of work. And that's, to me, it's actually sad because if your if your life's goal is to have a child, but you're delaying it because of the job that you have, because they're not going to support you or you're going to lose your position, how many men are having to delay that? You know, they're not impacted in the same way. They usually get promotions. They usually get promoted. <laughs> because they're they're more loyal, they'll stay longer, etc. Exactly. It's like they're now a family man. Exactly. Um, they're more trustworthy. And I, I even saw this with my husband. You know, he would work, he would be um, late for work in the morning. Not late, but, you know, he can kind of be flexible with his hours. And nobody would be upset at him. And I'm like, if I was late, I have a different job. I'm client-based, so it's, of course, a little different. But even still as a woman being late to their job, I remember I worked with a woman who has three kids and she had a relatively high position in her company. And she's like, honestly, I came in late one day because my kid had an appointment. And the receptionist said to me, made a snarky comment like, oh, nice of you to show up. And she's like, are you kidding me? I am here every single day earlier than all of these other men. I have three children. And I, she like lost it. And I'm like, this is how we treat women even when they're in positions of power and so how are women but i think that's just the strange part is that women do this to each other i know they do to and each i've other. never I understood it. it men are now afraid to do it because they're afraid of yes. you know whatever yeah. lawsuit we'll throw at them yeah. so at least we've muzzled some part <laughs> of the population yeah but women are actually more emboldened uh, to some degree to be nasty to each other I know. which i still and I, that's why i do love the idea of having more podcasts and and sort of community building online um, because that's how you magnify the message and at least make other women feel supported um, because they do get beaten up by other women, which I find very frustrating. Um, But I would say the silver lining of now becoming a mother career-wise is that I have more to talk to fathers about. Do you know what I mean? Um, maybe before uh, they would see me as uh, maybe a good-looking whatever sales girl, mm. but now I get to be like, I have a child. This is my role. You know, what about your children? Mm. How you know? And, it's, and it's a form of connection. It's interesting. Yeah. It's a form of connection, but it also earns their respect almost immediately. <laughs> I oh, I agree. If I drop, sometimes I show up to a store and they think I they think I, I think they think I'm a kid. Like I look kind of young. Yeah, we're gonna go <laughs> like a backpack, right? <laughs> And and then I'll just drop, oh, yeah, my kids are – and then immediately I get more respect, right? It's like, but why do why should we have to say that? But, you know, I get it. I respect mothers a whole lot because you know what we're going through. Um, mm-hmm. But it's true. I also find that there are a lot of women like us who don't want to treat other women like crap just because we've been treated like crap, right? Just because someone's made a comment to me, I don't want to then go and shit on somebody else just because that's been what I've expected or re- uh, received. And I think that it takes courage to step outside of what's been thrown at us in the past. I see a lot of the times it's the grandmas of the family who are judging the the woman for not having a clean house because she could do it. Why can't you? Or the moms, right? Oh, I, I handle five kids. How come you're struggling with one? It's the women of the family who are often shaming or judging. And it's it's harsh, yeah. but we need to let that go. We need to let go of that judgment and set boundaries around what kind of you know, messaging we'll tolerate. Because frankly, no friends, no family is ever saying to me anything now because I've mm-hmm. gained that experience and been able to set that boundary around what, what treatment is accept- acceptable to me and what conversations are acceptable, right? 
So translation, they're afraid of you. Yeah, and that's fine. That's, that's how I want it to be, right? That's how I want it to be. Because that's, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they fear or they respect men immediately. I want that's them to true. have that for me too. And mm-hmm. I'm going to demand that and I'm not going to accept anything less. And I think as a new mom, you are so insecure. Every new mom is so insecure. Do my children love me? Am I a good mom? Am I doing the best for them? Could, could somebody else do it better? Oh, why am I so bad at this? All of those thoughts I've had, I'm sure every mom has challenged these, you know, these thoughts and experiences. But at some mm-hmm. point we have to come out of it and know innately that like we are obviously the best moms for our children. So whatever decisions we make for them are going to be the best ones or they're going to be the right ones at, at that given time. And when we know better, we can do better. You know, there are, there are things about my first postpartum that I would love to go back and change, but I know I can't. And those experiences made me stronger, just like they've made you stronger. And you you were talking about your mom's strength and not really recognizing what it was and then kind of realizing, oh, like I do have a lot of strengths. So it's funny because um, I remember as soon as we, I think three, four months out um, of, of during postpartum, my husband were like, okay, we need to come up with a list of all the things that we would do better with number two. And then I remember being like, <laughs> Do better, but it's going to be a completely different situation, oh, yeah. a different child. Totally different child. We're, we're going to be different financially, hopefully, and different mentally. Like, yeah. there's no optimizing this problem. He's an engineer. I'm an engineer. So we both started to get nerdy about, like, okay, here's, here are the ways we, yeah, we've learned to become better. Out, yeah. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, I think it's also that, like, forgiving yourself for making a mistake once in a while forgiving yourself for uh like breaking down just because you know you got triggered um or letting your child be upset at you for doing something horrible um and realizing that like it's it's the long game yes you know eventually these things will be little specks of sand and it's the big picture that you'll be able to achieve i mean i don't remember the trauma that i maybe experienced as a two-year-old um but i definitely remember it when i'm 12 or when i'm 15 and a little bit older right so i think it's the key is just to be consistent or try um and if you fail that's okay just keep trying and i think there's a beauty in your children watching your your evolution as a mom too because they're there for it they, they won't remember what two years old was like, but they'll remember the feeling of safety that they had. They'll remember yeah. how you made them feel. And I think about that because I feel like I, I wasn't present enough for a part of my ch- children's childhood. Even though I was physically here, mentally I wasn't present. And mm. that's hard. It's hard to – a lot of moms struggle with being present because they're overly drained, overly exhausted – I'm now two years postpartum and I can say I can be present now. I'm not overly exhausted. Even if I have a bad night here and there, more consistently I'm having good nights. But a year ago, I wasn't there yet, you know? So sometimes we're trying to rush the process and get to that stage, but it takes time to get there. It takes time to get out of that brain fog is so annoying. (laughs) Um, You know, I was popping supplements. (laughs) I was doing all the workouts. I was trying to sleep as much as possible. But the moment it shifted, and like I said, it was a couple weeks ago, I think, when the fog actually became clear um, and it felt like putting on glasses, I was like, wow. Man, it, it, it really just was time. It is um, just time. And yeah. unfortunately, I think the older you get, uh, I'm almost 40, um, and I'd love to have another child before I'm 40. 
um, knock on wood, but but like I can imagine how it's always just going to be longer and harder um, if I don't keep myself, you know, healthy, eat well, sleep well, etc. Um, and and that's the strange part is that people underestimate um, the the state of your body prior to pregnancy has to be quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. And even then, going back to you know, calling me an athlete. I would actually never call myself an athlete, even though all my friends would be like, um, crazy. Like, okay, um, ultra marathon. Like, can, can you tell me about some of that? Well, I've done two. Can you I've tell me about two. what kinds of activities you used to do before? And and what, what are, tell me about um, your running too. I want to hear about, I want to hear about that because that's something to celebrate. So I think the interesting thing is the reason why I don't identify as an athlete is because I didn't, um, I didn't compete in it a lot in, in say, high school or college or collegiate sports. Um, I, I, I kind of came to it after university. And when when I realized that, hey, you know, I have all this time after work. Um, what am I going to do? And also everybody around me was a runner. Um, so it was like a mild social pressure, but also it was fun. And um, I would say you know, I did it for the community, um, which I think a lot of people find strange because running, like cycling and swimming is a very Endurance individual sport. sport. Yeah. yeah. But it, when you do it with people, it's actually like double the high. Oh, yeah. Um, awesome. Because you're like struggling through 10 hours yeah. with your you're friends. You're like, I made it with these people. These people are my like my people, you know? You just feel yeah. that solid group. And so um, – I mean, I think the height of it is, and I'm happy to plug them, is a, a running group called Midnight Runners. Um, no, they don't run at midnight, but they do run at night. And they are um, they were founded in London, but now they're in North America, Europe, and South America. Um, and I ran a lot with them when I lived in Berlin. And that was my, my tribe. You know, they were uh, very easygoing artists, um, scientists. Uh, management consultants like they were from all walks of of life but we all came together for some our common love um and you know with the group it was like a little bit of a an addiction we would be like what's the next race we're all going to run um so i ran the berlin marathon uh twice um i did two ultras one in Faroe islands one in italy um it was mostly the travel and the running um, and then the pain afterwards, and then the high of the next one. Um, and I, I think the interesting thing is when I saw motherhood as an endurance activity, it frightened me because there was no end. Whereas I think with athletic endeavors, there's a training cycle, everything's in control. And when you peak at your race, you're done and you recover. Um, it's all completely predictable. Whereas motherhood is a, unpredictable endurance race that's longer than anything you've ever done um and you're going to want to quit many times and nobody else is going to let you quit well motherhood so, is a relationship i think that's the difference is like with it is. with athleticism it's it is a relationship but it's with yourself and motherhood is a relationship with you and yourself and your child right and eat and your partner and your partner so it's and three relationships it's a lot it's, it's relationships are i think the hardest things we have right the communication we have to learn like i'm still working on communicating with my partner and i'm like how is this still a thing we're working on but it's still always going to be a thing we're working on just like motherhood is constantly evolving and i mm-hmm. 
I think we can draw as endurance athletes a lot of our resilience from athleticism maybe. Like you have a lot of resilience and mental toughness from those things that you've done. And you can always – I always say like use – draw on the strengths and the confidence that you have in one area of your life into another area of your life. Because when my kid had that first challenge at daycare, it crushed me. It Like I broke down. I never felt a pain so hard as when like you see your child struggling with something that you're like, I did not anticipate this. I did not expect this to happen so early on. I thought we'd be dealing this with this in school. But then you learn. I learned from that and then I I'm a stronger mom because of it. I'm better at being her mom. I know how to support her through that. And I know how to advocate for her. So there's so many things that we get thrown into and don't anticipate. But I truly think that if we allow ourselves the the time and the like the pause and not having to urgently fix it all right away and knowing that it is a kind of evolution and a journey, I think we do, we do come out of it stronger. And so let me let me know now, now that you are postpartum, we you've been share you shared with me a while ago that you're like, I'm so proud of myself. I just did this run. Tell me about that. Tell me about how that felt. Um, wow. I mean, I remember the first time I walked after the C-section. I think it was maybe like a week, like real walking, not just between bed and the bathroom. Yeah. Um, and I walked for 10 minutes and it was the slowest walking I've ever done in my life. And I'm a very fast walker. And, and again, I broke down in tears with my husband who's like holding me steadily. And I was like, I barely made it from one street block. Like I will never run again. I said this and he just laughed as he does with my <laughs> drama. Um, it was very dramatic. It was ridiculous. Um, and he's like, it's okay. Like every day, you know, we'll just time you if this is how you want to be neurotic about it. Um, and I remember timing myself to be like, okay, I'm faster at walking, but I still could not run. Everything hurt. Um, I didn't have my core. And when we started working together, I was running on icy, snowy paths in Canada and I remember being like, well, this is the worst condition to test out your new body. Um, and again, it was probably a blessing because it meant I couldn't go fast. I was I was inhibited by the weather. Um, and I had to be careful not to slip and like destroy my body. Um, so as a result, I think I just built a lot of base yeah. because I was told to be patient. Yeah. Um, and I also forced myself um, to just do that. And I mean, this summer, basically a year postpartum, um, I've done a lot of hiking. I did a lot of trail running. Um, and and there have been, again, it's a bit inconsistent, a couple of runs where I've done, I think about seven or eight K faster than I've ever run that distance. And I would what? consider that That's distance amazing. a little bit longer than 5K, which is super cool. And I wonder if some of it was just like, you know, I quit drinking and, and basically have just been living healthier yeah. um, and eating with my child, right? Like making sure it's low salt, whatever. Um, and just in general, uh, all of the work and all of the patience in recovering. Yeah. Because I have been told, um, especially for, for athletes that go through really bad injuries, that if you recover well, you might actually come back even stronger. Agreed. Um, I so, think sometimes we can use recovery and pregnancy 
I think pregnancy and postpartum is beautiful for runners because it is a chance for you to reset your body. All of those bad habits mm. you had in training, all of those weakness you had in your stabilizers, you get to work on that now. And that's what we did. We worked on your hips. We worked on some of those stabilizing muscles. And you you did the work. And that's the thing is you did the work. You put in the time. You allowed your body the time to recover. And you were consistent. I remember doing a session with you when you were in like Mexico, when you were traveling for work. And I think that is the beauty of you were consistently doing it. And then when you did get back to running, you didn't just say, I'm going to go do a 10K right away. You took it gradually. You took it step by step. And when people do that, you do come back and you do often come back even stronger, even more resilient to future injuries, even despite being older or, you know, maybe your body's heavier than before, still stronger. So actually, if I could give any advice to like, really and I wasn't high achieving but like you know average athletes um who who then go through motherhood and have a hard time is that you actually now like in the postpartum more than ever you have to be so sensitive to every part that your body's going through and just stop if you can't do it anymore and there's no shame right like this is the only time where you get to be like I have zero expectations um it's me and my former self just every day having that relationship and building that back up again because I remember there were terrible runs where I was like it's been 10 minutes I'm done <laughs> I'm just gonna walk the rest of it because I don't feel right and by pushing I really think I might re-injure or it, it just doesn't feel right so I think again by circumstance by being super type a and then crashing <laughs> um I'm now realizing okay <laughs> just it's okay. It's all relative. Let go. And I think that there is a lot you can learn from setbacks or those hard days where you're like, I, can't, I didn't, you know, I can't do it. You you learn about yourself, right? And not every day is going to be, not every run is going to be fantastic. There's going to be setbacks or I don't even like to call them setbacks because they're just learning opportunities. Yeah. Right? But the thing that I think also helped is that I actually stopped comparing myself to other athletic moms who you know, did their first marathon six months after. Um, there's a, a woman, Sophie Powers, who I, I follow. She was the one who did UTMB and was breastfeeding while running like 100K. Oh I don't gosh. know if you've seen, I you have, have to, seen I'll send you the photo. Yeah. Um, she's on, she's on her, she, she had her three kids and it was her third kid. Um, and she advocates for race deferral for women in postpartum. She could not defer. It was, um, it's UTMB, Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, which is a very prestigious trail. So she had to run it and breastfeed at the same time. Awful. And so actually recently, I think a couple of marathons, um, thanks to her advocating and, and, and sort of pushing, have said, okay, race deferral for postpartum has to happen for women. Because it's not fair. They're already at a disadvantage and some push through, but some just The thing just is you're at a huge risk of injury too. Your bone yes, density, everything that. is like, Absolutely. is weaker. And like, I sometimes think too, we glorify people who do things like that because, I mean, she was, I think, trying to prove a point too, but we sometimes look to athletes, pro athletes, or, you know, those exceptional mommy influencers, fit influencers who do bounce back or do get back. But those are not the norms. And who's to say that their return to sport was healthy anyways? A lot of them experienced leaks. Agreed. A lot of them experienced symptoms yeah. of prolapse or <clears throat> back pain. A lot of them are medicating. And we don't know what they're going through. 
So it's... Which is terrible because it comes out through the breast milk. Like, yeah, it comes out through the breast milk, it, affects their mental health, their sleep. Oof. And like, what's the rush? Like, what is the rush? There's always, yeah. I always say, like, you don't run in the next six months. There's always the, the rest of your life, you know? It's, it's okay. It's not going anywhere. It's running is not going anywhere. But I do find myself kind of like timing. Like, what, if I were to get pregnant again... You know, when is the best time so that I could squeeze in one more race before all of this happens? I mean, one of my favorite things is to run the Berlin Marathon. So I'm always mm. like, oh, there's another one next September. So maybe I have to postpone all activity <laughs> until after that race. Anyway, no, that's silly. Well, but, um, that race is always going to be there. I know. Right? I know. And and sometimes, for me anyways, mentally, after because I, I just wanted two kids. And I was like, after two I can get back to really building my base, really building my fitness. Between the kids, <clears throat> I didn't as much because I also didn't receive the help that I needed. But I also felt like, oh, what's the point? I'm going to get pregnant again anyway. I have to do this all over again. So that was a little bit of my mentality back then, which was not not great, but that's honestly what it was. But after my second, I was like, I'm done. Now I can do whatever I want, work up to it, and I don't feel like – I have to have this like huge interruption in my life again. So if you know yeah. that you're planning for another one, it's okay. It's okay to pause and not have to, you know, put that pressure on yourself of needing to do a race or needing to do this before then. So I have five questions for you and our final thoughts. And I would love to hear a little bit about you. We've talked about you, obviously, but about what is your favorite book or podcast that's been life-changing? Um, so I'm going to skip on the podcast, uh, because I actually terrible at, um, processing information by sound. Although I highly recommend, um, someone named Tara Brach, B-R-A-C-H. She does guided meditation. So I listen to her podcast once in a while when I, when I want to, you know, have a voice in my head. Um, I think this is interesting because this is, this is a book on motherhood that I think achieved the opposite effect on me. <laughs> and so it was life-changing because it showed me how I didn't want to be mm. as a mother. And as a book a friend gave me called Power Moms. And it was supposed to be a collection of career-driven women um, in the 50s and 60s and career-driven women in the 90s, 2000s, and how they, um, a comparing contrast of their their experience as women mm. um, and as career women. But after listening and reading the book, I decided that I don't want any part in the way they've conducted being mothers because all of it was, you know, outsourcing and then having children who grew up like estranged from their parents eventually interviewed and said, you know, I can understand why my mom never showed up. Mm. Um, so and it made so me realize I am happy to take a backseat, at least in the industries that demand that of me, um, for that deeper relationship, as you said, with my child um, up to a certain point. Or I want to change the way and the expectation of how a woman um, achieves greatness in her career and the definition of it while being able to take care of my child. And this Love isn't that. about having it all. It's actually about compromising. Yes. Um, and this book showed me at least these women were having it all, but not having anything at all. Like they just had their career. And, you know, 
at the end of the day, half of them regretted it. Well, it had a very somber tone to it. I, I've never read that book, but hearing you talk about it sounds like it would be very powerful, you know, wanting to do the opposite of exactly that. But um, I read this thing and it was like so powerful to me. And it said, this woman leaves a note on her work desk and she, she says, remember, you're replaceable here, but you're not replaceable at home. And I was like, wow. Um, because it's true. I'm a physio. I'm, you know, I'm great at what I do, but I am replaceable. At home, I am not replaceable. So that is my priority, right? Being there for my mentally and physically present for my children. I want to play with them. I want to be silly with them and have fun with them. And people don't realize, I think, women don't realize when they're going to have kids sometimes, These, especially these career-driven women, women like me. I didn't realize I'd actually enjoy hanging out with my kids so much, you know? I didn't, I didn't know what I would get out of it, out, that part of my inner child would heal because I'm hanging out with them. And I didn't get to play like that as a child. I didn't have my parents present with me as a child in that way. And I get to relive that. I get to heal. I get to, so much more out of it than just, okay, I'm raising a child to be a good human and this and that. Like there's – it's a relationship. And I, I'm so glad that – you learned learned that so early on. But let's put a caveat there. The first six months, they're really not that fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they just poop and they cry. And occasionally you're like, oh, they're on their <laughs> tummy and they're about to. Oh, they did do it. Right. So I, I'm, I'm completely like the first six months, I think I've actually completely blocked out. I don't like I don't remember what my no. daughter did at all. But now it's like this beautiful window into a evolving mind and emotions and facial expression. I love that. And it's, 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 it's enti- like, it's addictive. It is. Like I want to hang out with her every day to be like, what else are you going to do today? Right now she loves backing up to a, a very small seat and then like, just like letting go and drop it. And sometimes she'll miss the cushion. Yeah. And it's amusing when she misses it, she makes this noise. She's like, Oh, <laughs> then she gets up and she tries again. And then the other day we bought her a mini piano and she sat on the piano like it was a seat. Oh, yes. My son does that too. He plays it with his bum and he thinks that that's yeah. how you play it. And I'm like, that's adorable. Like, Well, that's our fault for like why buy a small piano? Do you know what I mean? The piano is that size. Like, exactly. If it's that small, it must be sat on. Exactly. Um, I know. So I, d- I recommend that book as like a, a – a what not to do. Yeah. And I, but maybe some women want to read it. And, and that's, not a, that's not a judgment on them if that's what they want. It's just a, a statement that that's not – you decided that that wasn't for you, right? Yep. And I think that's yep. that's so important too. It's transformative. It was super cool. Um, okay. My next question. What are three things you like to do for yourself every day? For example, self-care. Oof. Um, it's so interesting because I think – Things are so inconsistent, um, but I realized that for sure I love to make coffee in the morning with like my little pour over um, kettle while my child's having breakfast and I just like get lost for five seconds in, in making it. Um, always drink water before you drink coffee, obviously. Um, <laughs> I love what I you try... said. You're like, this is what Serbi would do. No, no, no. I, I, I'm sure you've had enough people tell oh, yeah. you, but literally when I don't drink enough water, I think of you. Um, and, and I hope this is okay to say, but I'm like, I think of you telling me you're going to be constipated. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so it's like, sorry, you're in my head more than my mother, which is really awesome. 
Um, and I do try, this is, you know, the time doesn't really matter, but I do try to like do a little simple meditation or like breath work um, daily. And and sometimes it might even be when I'm making the coffee yeah. to like kill two birds with one Love stone. Um, but I don't, I think this is a lot of people and you, you taught me a little bit more about that is that I don't, a lot of people don't breathe properly. I hold my breath all the time. I hold my breath when I was driving. I hold my breath when I'm typing an email. I don't breathe enough. Um, and my nervous system, as a result, is just completely off many times. So that reset and breathing is so important that I don't think I consistently do it as self-care. I just do it as survival. Love it. Um because I know what it's like when I don't. And then I think the third thing that I've recently been really into is like a nighttime skincare routine. I don't do it in the morning, but at night I'm like, if I can take 15 minutes to slather all these lotions and face, potions and serums, yeah. Right now we're at five and I'm pretty sure like five is too much, but whatever. Nothing's <laughs> um, too much. As long as it makes you happy, it helps your skin feel good. I there's there's not enough powder space, but yeah. <laughs> I, I I do. I started a skin time routine, nighttime routine, probably in the past year or two. Because before that, I was like, oh, no energy for this. But then I was like, and I always thought, oh, I'm melanated, right? I'll that'll protect my skin from aging. But then I started to see like the crow's feet, and I'm like, oh, I see. Maybe I do need to start taking better care of myself. So that's awesome. That's I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear you take moments to breathe too, because. I call it like nervous system hygiene, right? It's just hygiene. Yeah. Just weaving it in when you can rather than making well, it a big you brush thing. your teeth, why not breathe? Why not breathe? You know? And exactly. my third question is what are you really passionate about right now? Uh, I think I found the, the brain fog clearing to be so wonderful that everything is like – brighter and cooler and more exciting and so I, I have like a massive to-do list of like how to improve myself um but I think it's I think passion is is something usually reserved for for like a, a real flame um and I was recently talking to a girlfriend who almost got let go at work again it was after she came back from her maternity leave um and so I've been really excited to read and sort of understand how mothers with what they had to be a very you know successful career um transition mm. and um i again connected with a friend who's a career coach and he was like you should just see if you can do that for other women um and and so i'm not putting this on air as a uh like a like a statement declaration but i think that's one thing that i've been consistently excited about learning and reading is like what are all the different frameworks and the ways that women can continue in the career and continue to be a good mother um and then when they struggle how can you help them because i really I hate to see another woman be super frazzled and overwhelmed in the process i just want postpartum to be better for someone else yeah because it's so terrible for me i just want to help them yeah. um and so right now it's my immediate network. Who knows something about later? But and you know what? That is awesome. Yeah. If you if you start supporting the people in your network, that I want to give back. Spread, and that's how that's why mm -hmm. I started my business. Honestly, because my postpartum was so incredibly hard, and I felt like if someone had just 
been there for me and supported me in the way that I needed, things would have gone so much better. And that's what I want to offer other people is, you know, using my own, obviously, education and knowledge, but also my own personal experience because that that's, that's different. And like you said, people without children, they're not going to get it. They might maybe empathize, but they're not going to get it. And it's once you've been through it, you get it and you you start to understand why it's so hard. Um, I love that. You, you From the many conversations we've had about it, it's definitely one of your big passions and I can see that. So if you could change one. And I actually think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go on. No, no, go on. Um, well, I was going to say it's really interesting because you hit on the point that you wish someone was there to support you the way you needed. I actually think even going one step prior to that, a lot of us didn't know what we needed. We yeah. were just, we knew we didn't have it. Yeah. We knew what we were we missing. We were just frazzled and overwhelmed. We knew what we were missing or we were holding on to our old selves. And we couldn't communicate what we needed. I think if if I can help someone in that very initial phase of like chaos to be able to communicate like, this is what I'm missing or this is what I need, mm. then they can get to healing and recovering faster. I love that. Um, You're making the connection. You're making the connection with that. Yeah. yeah. Love that. Um, and you know, one thing that a lot of people will say, I wish I knew, I wish somebody told me, and sometimes that helps, but sometimes it doesn't help because someone can tell you that it's really hard and you're going to be exhausted, but you don't get it until you've been through it. And then you say, oh my God, why didn't anyone tell me? But then you're like, oh yeah, everyone did tell me that I would barely sleep the first year postpartum, but it's, it's different knowing and then actually experiencing. So I think having someone there who when you're in that experience zone, being able to make that connection can with pull you, you a little yeah, bit to pull you exactly. along, I think that's that's fantastic. Well, I, the answers don't make sense unless you're asking the questions. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, at the right and time, a lot of the times, exactly. I think a lot of people are just like, I don't know what to ask because there's so many questions. Is yeah. this poop um, indicative of something else, or you well, know, and then am they're I googling, going and of course, that usually just spikes anxiety and fear. Because Google is going to, whatever you Google, your baby has something really bad, right? Like no matter what. It could be a normal thing. My kid had a tantrum. Oh, they might have all of these disorders. And you're like, they just are a two-year-old. Okay. You know? Um, My answer eventually was teething. She's just teething. That's why she's screaming and crying and whatever. And probably it was. was. We'll never know. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Just let the kid be yeah. a kid and, you know, there's some mm-hmm. bad days and that's how kids respond. And adults, we don't cry as much, but we we re- tantrum in other ways, you know. Um, we're just big kids at heart. Okay. Although one time it was bed bugs in Turkey. Oh, yeah. And I just you thought it was teething. That. Oh, my gosh. You told me so about this that. Is, <laughs> oh, my God. This is why it's actually funny to be me because I think eventually I went from super type A to like super laissez-faire, like, oh, everything's just teething or whatever. And my husband's like, she's been itching and she refuses and cries when she you, we put her in that crib. Like, I think it's bed bugs. And we were like, oh, could be Oh my <laughs> on the last day. So I, I think, again, you have to... You have to have complementary partners yeah. with different styles to maybe make sure Balance that nobody out. suffers serious injuries. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's not a common thing too. Like bed bugs when you have a baby. Oh, no. Like that, that is not a, that's not something that happens to everyone. <laughs> yeah. I've put her through the ringer. I really, you know, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for my daughter's patience. What would, if you could change one thing in the world about the world, what would it be? 
universal maternity and paternity policy, like universal. It should be like a human right. If you choose to have baby, if you choose um, to have an abortion, if you choose, if you accidentally or or physiologically went through um, an abortion, if you uh, have twins, you should have more maternity. I know. I'm like, wait, you get ripped off. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Quadruplets? I don't know. Like at, at some point, there's a. At some point, you're like, all right, just you don't have you to can't go back take seven yeah. years off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a set um, of twins but, at my kids' daycare, and both parents always come in with them, and it's just so cute. But it's it's got to be teamwork, right? Like when you have and when you have two kids, it's it's more teamwork, right? There's sometimes exponentially more work, and then in other ways, way less work because your older one is. Like kind of there to entertain your baby too. Uh, I really hope that at some point they just take care of them. <laughs> I'd be like, older one, daughter, go. <laughs> Honestly, my daughter does. She's quite responsible, and she'll she'll tell yeah. me if the little one is getting into drop. Like, oh, he's he's getting into this, and kind of give me a heads up, so I have like a few moments to get there. She saved my my older brother times. is is six years older than me. Oh my, so my I brother really is six feel years like older too. My my mom had it a little bit easier with me, yeah. um, and she just had to let me do whatever I want, and then let him suffer a little bit, mm. <laughs> right? So it was smart. But I anyway, I actually think the the cool part is if you raise a really independent and strong kid, um, presumably, you know, when you welcome another child, that that's going to have them step up and yeah. and they're going to discover and play and, and enjoy life that way and, and takes a little load off of the parents. Agreed. It's like you put in the work and you reap the rewards down the road and it, it, you do. Nice. I've been I've been through it and I'm going through it and for sure, like all of the work we did with my first hugely has paid off and I'm starting to see it more and more now. She's four. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see how both the kids do. My last mm-hmm. question for you is, what do you think is your mom's strength? Ah, uh, well, I mean, I've just told a lot of silly stories, um, but I would say, I would say, I iterate quickly, and I have, you know, an ability to create, but then also deal with uh, very chaotic, intense, random, spontaneous, and unplanned um, situations, and then come out of it for the most part laughing a little bit at the silliness that we've done. Um, this was unintentional, but I just, I just wanted to live the summer. So we, we really traveled extensively with our child. Um, I counted, I think we've, we've stayed at 10 Airbnbs in four months. Um, and then that's not counting hotels, I think, but, um, you know, she, she's, she's quite seasoned and, and at the same time, like, um, I've become a lot more, uh, less anxious actually with traveling with a baby who then turned into a toddler in that period. Um, my favorite actually moment that my husband and I always talk about as a, an example of good teamwork is once we had 30 minutes um, to pack up everything and go for a couple day trip in, in another city in Germany. Um, and we managed to get to the Berlin train station with five minutes to spare. So wow. we basically packed for 15 minutes, got her lunch heated, wow. packed up water, cookies, didn't spare, you know, diapers, etc. Um, called a car, got there, knew exactly where to go and got on the train. Amazing. Um, and when we got there, we just took a deep breath. We were like, we did this. We could do this. It's not that bad. Like everyone tells, you know, these horrible stories about traveling with babies and 
you just have to, I guess, be a little quick, um, but also grab just the essentials and not like everything under the exactly. sun. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So sort of like reducing everything to very simple, simple things. And I think you only gain that knowledge through experience. And from what you're describing, like for anyone listening who's debating traveling and stuff, I think it's a fantastic thing that you're you've done with your child. Your child. I think you have to trust yourself. I think the that's the part, right? We go back to being insecure as a mom. You have to trust yourself that like you can you you're you're more capable than you you think you are um, at being a mom in various situations. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I sometimes I know this is dark, but I think about all the women that have survived war with their children. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, we have it so easy. We, do, we, we have do. running water. Yeah, well, <laughs> so what are we complaining about? And that's it. It's, it's, I think it's important to have that perspective and not be stuck in ourselves and in our heads. And it's important to talk to other people because you start to gain more perspective mm-hmm. that like, oh, okay, maybe what I'm going through isn't as big a deal as I'm making it out to be. And it, and if you yeah. did get there and you missed your train, it still wouldn't have been your failure or your, you know, it wouldn't have been a, a failure. It oh, just... we've also done that. <laughs> <laughs> This uh, the anecdote there that we didn't do was what we, I think we had six pieces of luggage and a stroller. What? Um, and a baby. I know it was poorly planned. We should have driven. Um, and the train left uh, two minutes before my husband got there. Brutal. And I actually was sitting, standing right in front of um, our our door, calling him, being like, "Should I leave you and just go on with all of our luggage? Because <laughs> then you get like a couple hours alone." Yeah. Um, but then I was like, I don't want to carry six pieces of luggage how, and a baby. How would you even do so, that? Yeah. Um, you just like move two and then use like a shoulder. Like, no, I yeah. mean, <laughs> I ended up getting, I think, the entire uh, train to help me. <laughs> so And leaning, leaning on other people because most people are good people and will help, right? Yeah. And and I mean it was in French and and people just kind of looked at me uh, and was like you need help yeah. um, and they proactively did it so I, again strangers will lean in um, and I think you might surprise yourself so anxious you know worried moms just do something silly once in a while and if you fail that's okay try it again um, you'll surprise yourself and it'll be a good story that's also true can you tell me um there's one last story that i want you to share is about your child falling in the train Mm, yes so that was actually all things considered it went so much better than i think the horror stories that you would assume when you are traveling abroad and have to go to emergency Mm. But that was the train actually that we missed Mm. um, and then got on a new train. And at that point, she was exhausted because we had basically been packing and traveling all day that um, it was her afternoon nap time and she fell. And I didn't think much of it because she was roaming around these moving trains for the whole summer. Um, But she fell. She cried really hard. And then she suddenly just fell asleep in my arms. And I thought, okay, maybe it was just exhaustion. And when she woke up, she would, something was just off. She was very fussy, but it also took us about two hours before we got to our Paris flat. Mm. Um, And that's when I noticed she wasn't using her left arm. And immediately I was like, okay, like literally it's limp. Um, Oh my gosh. We're going to the emergency. There's no, there's no whatever. And and while I'm there, I'm looking up all of the medical conditions and Google was a very frightening um, uh, answer. 
answer bank. But we got to the emergency and um, it was just me uh, and my daughter and and effectively communicated as much as I could in French um, what I'm seeing. And then there was another five or six hours in the emergency. Wow. Um, I think the interesting thing there was I realized I stay very calm when something seems very stressful, uh, very stressful or drastic because I was like, I think she didn't like, I think her arm's not broken, but if it's broken, then we do all these things. And I, yeah. And I realized I was literally just calm. I hadn't even had dinner. Um, and, and by midnight when she finally was able to use her arm, it was a pulled elbow. Um, which is just a ligament that, that sort of, and the doctor, when he wrenched it back in, I'd never seen my daughter in so much pain um, and anguish. It was heartbreaking, but I, I thought to myself, like, just trust the medical system and, and you know, hopefully it'll all be over. Um, but I, you know, I was happy that, number one, I had the wherewithal to be like, we're going to the emergency. Mm-hmm. Just we're going. Like, let's not waste time. And then when I got there, I was very calm and just sort of went through everything without um, panicking because I think panic is maybe the worst thing to do in, in these situations, yeah. especially when you're abroad. And especially with a child who then feeds off of that panic and probably mm-hmm. escalates even more, right? So, wow, that would be really hard. And I am so proud of you for advocating for I your child. I took a lot of pictures. And yeah, <laughs> I, well, no, I think that's something that you're going to look back on in like yeah. a few years and you can tell your daughter mm-hmm. that story and be like, wow, like I did that. That is hard. Well, I saved the bracelet because I was like, your first Aww. massive hospital visit. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. <laughs> she was like not having it. Oh, I've heard those That's things okay. are so painful. And children also react to pain so much more intensely because it's like they don't have as many experiences with pain. So any pain they have oh, so is that like was big, right? That was the other realization is that she had a really high pain tolerance. Mm. In fact, she was completely normal. But if you touched it or forced her or or sort of enticed her to use that arm yeah. she would then let out a cry ah. but that's why it was actually so hard to detect because she fell at uh, i think four in the afternoon and i didn't realize it until eight right. both of us like my husband was out at that point we didn't realize it um and i think we would have maybe just chalked it up to exhaustion and put her to bed um and so yeah it's that was terrible that she didn't really react. <laughs> so maybe she was in was shock too, though, right? Now. Like maybe she was in maybe. a bit of shock. Our bodies um, do weird things, but I'm so glad you got that help and that yeah. in the France, you know, Paris emergency room system, they did what they needed to. Um, All things considered, I mean, it's happy ending. That would have been faster service so. than you'd get in Toronto Emerge, probably. <laughs> Although sick kids I've heard is fantastic. Thank you so much, Sharon, for sharing yourself, your journey as a pregnant and postpartum woman, mother, uh, and all of your wisdom. I feel like you've got such a fantastic view and approach to motherhood for being only 15 months postpartum. Like, that's incredible. It, And I hope it inspires other people to live more authentically in a way that actually they want to live rather than the way that society tells them that they need to live, whether you're in Asia and Europe and North America, wherever you are in the world. Um, any last? I think to some degree, I feel like I'm, I'm very grateful to be a stay at home working mom because I've had a lot of time to be able to digest. Right. And to be able to say, 
I just had a thought. I'm going to write it down and then think about it a bit more. Um, but again, like the support network, if you hadn't um, posed these questions to me, I don't think I would be able to succinctly communicate. Um, as for, you know, the the empowering women and, and sort of coaching them through the postpartum has been a thought that's literally been itching at me for a year and three months. Um, and it's only maybe the last two, three weeks that I've put it together to be like, actually, that is something that I think is a bit of a mission. Um, and I want to follow it through. So also thank you for for being the both the trigger and the support network and then the continuing um, friend to, to bring these things out. It's really important thank to have these conversations. Thank you so much, Sharon. I really appreciate you saying that. And it's sometimes hard to know what impact anything you've said makes on anyone else. And I think I'm, I'm grateful for you for um, communicating and sharing that with me. I that's That makes me so happy. share some gratitude to you. I know. <laughs> Thank you so much. And for Thanks. all of our listeners, if this conversation was helpful, please share it with a friend. Um, please tag me on social media at The Passionate Physio. Do you want to share your, your Instagram with, with the audience? What would you prefer? Oh, um, it's, uh, so my first name is Sharon. Um, so it's S H and then my last name is fan. So it's S H fantastic. Literally just put that together. Isn't that funny? I did not. Fantastic. Really? (laughs) Clearly I, yeah, that makes so much sense. There were other, there were other puns with my last name, um, that, that we had that are less appropriate but (laughs) fantastic is a good one yeah i was gonna say that's a great one um awesome (laughs) thank you so much for all our listeners you are the best please keep subscribing and stay tuned for a new podcast hitting you next week Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links, and we'll chat again real soon.